Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you very much for joining tonight. And I have a great guest today. And before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is A Gift from Adversity. A Gift from Adversity subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. And it's by Julie Love. It's available on Amazon. When I published this book, I got a lot of messages from people. And nowadays as well, the people message me from all over the world. And then um, basically sharing that they are also a victim of child sex abuse, domestic violence, um, homelessness, etc. And I felt very compelled to create a platform where we can specifically talk about adversity and how people overcome, overcame the adversity tools and then a gift that came from it. It's been so wonderful and empowering to hear everyone's story, not only the sad part of the adversity, but how they use different unique techniques and tools to overcome these adversities. So today we have a guest, her name is Jalila Clark. So let's introduce her. Hi. Hi. Uh, how are you doing? Great, and you? Good. Thank you very much for coming to a gift from adversity tonight. Well, thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So, Jalila, can you please tell our audience who you are, where you're located, and what you do, and then your social media and website? Sure. Yeah. So, my name is Jalila Clark. And uh, let's see, so one of the things that I do is I teach English um, online, but I also, uh, which is something that's very important to me, I'm a host and creator of a podcast. It's an expat podcast. So it's, uh, there are two episodes, two new episodes every week. And I interview expats, so people who are not originally from a certain country, but they live in that country. So I interview them every week. And yeah, we talk about their joys, their struggles, the life lessons, what they do for a living, um, you know, and then I blog about it as well. Um, so, I mean, it's like my passion project. I absolutely love talking to so many different people and getting their insight about living their best life abroad. Perfect. So uh, where are you coming in from today? Sure. Yeah. Um. So I'm in uh, Colombia, Medellin, and uh, let's see. It's raining, 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 but <laughs> I'm here dry, so it's good. Um. Yeah. So I moved to Colombia July fifth. Um. I moved from Shanghai, China. I was living in China for three years teaching English. So this is my new home now. <laughs> so, um, what do you like about being in Colombia? Um, well, let's see. So today I had like a huge meal <laughs> with uh, some friends. Um, so I really enjoy the food. Um, I had something called um, uh, like a plato paisa. So it's like, you know, like the like the like the national dish and it's like food that i really like it's rice and beans and uh avocado and 
and, and delicious meat and, um, you know, like platano, plantain. Um, I love like the Spanish language. I'm originally from Panama, Central America. So myself, my parents, my grandparents. So Spanish was actually my first language before I moved to America, the United States when I was three years old. So I'm enjoying practicing my Spanish again. Um, you know, I love the weather. Um, you know, even though it's raining, that's okay. Like I'm normally, you know, inside. <laughs> um, so, you know, I love the weather. I love that it's warm. Um, and it kind of stays warm here in Medellin In other cities, the weather changes like in Bogota, but I'm in Medellin. Um, you know, the people are friendly. Life seems, you know, much more simpler here than in America. And my money does go farther here. So I don't have to work as hard. So those are some of the things that I like. So how many languages do you speak? Uh, just two, just English and Spanish. I mean, I learned a little bit of Chinese when I learned lived in China, but it's not like like I can like hold a conversation. You know, like I, I know like directions, numbers, colors, lots of different things. So like I could put a sentence together, but I can't like carry a conversation. I can't read in Mandarin. So yeah, so I'll just say English and Spanish. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I studied Spanish a little bit. I took classes, but mainly I was teaching juvenile offenders in the detention program. And then I talked about it on my book, I Get From Adversity, that I started a nonprofit. And then with Blood and Crips, and then um, the gang, um, the they use like Spanish. And then I just um, decided to learn so I kind of can get through to them and um, I learned like my on my own and then it's been really fun very basic but thank you yeah. so much. I, I'm gonna ask you to say something in Spanish later at the end <laughs> of the um, so Jalila um, let's dive into the first question which is an adversity so can you please share your adversity with our audience yeah, um, you know, and to some people, it might not seem like so much of an adversity, but honestly, it it really was like, I mean, it just really, trust me, if you had been there, you would have seen how like broken down I was. Um, okay, so when I foolishly once upon a time got married, I was 22 and stupid. <laughs> and people, you know, sometimes ask me, oh, well, was it love? And I'll say, no, unfortunately, it was low self-esteem. I'll be honest about that. Um, so anyway, so after, you know, years of being married, like I decided I wanted to fulfill a um, dream of becoming a police officer. So I was a police officer. Um, so anyway, so, you know, I went through the academy. Um, and then um, when it was, let me see now. So I think it was like 10 months into my first year. Yeah. 10 months into that first year, you know, um, I came home one day and my husband, he's sitting at the computer and he's like, oh, I'm bored. And I said, you know, I need a separation. I, I can't do this anymore. Like I'd done this with him for years. <laughs> We'd been married. So by that time I was like mm, 30. And so, you know, I'd done this with him. No, let me see. Yeah. Yeah. 30. Yeah. So I'd done this with him for like eight years where like, you know, I went to school, I worked, I, you know, rose the ladder. I was succeeding. I was earning more and more money. And he would quit jobs right and left. And I just thought, you know, 
this is a long time I've been doing this. I don't want to do this in my 30s or my 40s or my 50s. I don't want to do this with you anymore. <laughs> no. So anyway, so, you know, of course, like he didn't like that because, you know, I was the golden goose. <laughs> and um, so anyway, so yeah. So, I mean, I like left him the house SUV. You know, I paid off the credit cards. I even left him cash. I was like, you know what? Have a great life. I'm filing for divorce. But, you know, I knew that like... I. I was, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, well, I need to hold on to this material possession because, you know, like I have to have it. No, I mean, I had made money throughout life and I knew like I was capable of working hard and making all that stuff back. So anyway, so, you know, we started the divorce process and, you know, we go to our first court date and, you know, how it is in Florida, unfortunately, the judge asked him, well, do you want a divorce, sir? And of course he says no. So then they set a court date and thus began a two-year journey <laughs> through divorce court. And people always ask me, wow, like, what were you guys fighting for? I thought you said you left him everything. Yes, I did. I absolutely did. And we didn't have any children. <laughs> but uh, believe it or not, I still had assets. So number one, my salary. <laughs> and number two, my retirement account. So um, he wanted half of my retirement account. And he wanted 1,000 US dollars because, you know, now I'm in Colombian pesos. So I think in US dollars now, he wanted 1,000 US dollars every month for permanent alimony. So anyway, so, uh, you know, we go to the court dates and, you know, some of this adversity was precipitated by my divorce attorney, uh, Jessica Bennett. And she, you know, unbeknownst to me, she was going through like a hardship with her husband like, you know, he had left her and she had like this breakdown. And, you know, my, my idea of an attorney at the time is that you pay an attorney and then they handle things. They, you know, they tell you the court dates, they go to court, you know, they make sure you come to court. Well, due to like, I guess her breakdown about this man leaving her for another woman, she, um, didn't tell me about court dates. <laughs> and, you know, a friend of mine was asking me, she's like, you know, it's been month after month. And, you know, like, what's taking so long? I said, I don't know. And my friend, <laughs> she went online on the Hillsborough County, because I was living in Hillsborough County, Florida, in uh, Tampa. And she went online and she said, you have a court date coming up in a few days. Did you know that? And I said, no. And so then I contacted Jessica Bennett. She's like, oh yeah, I was going to tell you. I said, but when I would need to get time off from work, like what? And she's like, no, no, I was going to tell you. We go to court. And um, so we're sitting there and then, you know, his attorney, because, you know, he's not stupid. He's obviously, like I said, he wanted all this money and assets for me. Uh, so his attorney says, oh, well, your honor, we have a writ of, um, yeah, a writ of bodily custody. And so like a writ is to take you into custody to arrest you. That's what a writ is. <laughs> and so I was like, mm, that sounds awfully ominous because I don't know anything about this. And that's what I said, Your Honor, I don't know anything about this. And I'm looking at Jessica and Jessica Bennett puts her head down and I'm like, oh crap. So anyway, um, so the judge looks at so the judge looks at Jessica and she says, Miss Bennett, what's going on here? 
And Jessica's not saying anything to the judge. And the judge says, Miss Bennett, I'm speaking to you. You're her attorney. She just said she didn't know about this. What's going on? You guys have missed court date after court date. So now they have requested a writ because, you know, you've wasted their time and money and you've missed court dates. Miss Bennett still is saying nothing. Um, you know, later on, I would, you know, submit something to the Florida bar. I was like the eighth complaint. <laughs> I didn't know that. And uh, she was disbarred. Hallelujah. Um, but anyway, um, wow. When I see this, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to get arrested today. Like that's what's going to happen. And so anyway, so I tell the judge, look, your honor, I was not aware. As you can see, my attorney's clearly incompetent. That's exactly what I said in court. And she's not saying anything. She's just looking down at the table. So I'm going to say whatever I need to, which is the truth, to like get myself out of there without getting arrested. Because I was a police officer at the time. If I get arrested, <laughs> I'm in big tr trouble. Um, so I said, Your Honor, I'm a police officer. I can show you my credentials. I didn't know about this. Clearly, as you can see, I don't have you know competent representation. If I'd known, I would have been here. There's no reason for me not to come to court. I go to court for a living, <laughs> you know, from from cases that are tried based on arrests that I make. Um and the judge is saying, clearly, I see there's a problem here with your representation. I, I agree with that, clearly. And so, but his his side is saying, oh, but your honor, you know, my 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 client, he needs money for his bills. And and the judge says, well, what, why isn't he not making money? Why isn't he not working? This is a clever woman because she could see through the BS. And so, you know, they're like, oh, well, uh, <laughs> You know, like they don't they don't have a good reason. You know, they just know they're going to try to like milk me dry. And so anyway, so she said, you know, she looked at me. She said, I'm so sorry for this. She said this this should not be happening. And she looked at me and she said, you know, can you get the money in like two weeks? Like they were asking for like almost seven thousand dollars, like, you know, attorney's fees, court costs, money for him. And I said, your honor, I, I will do whatever I need to to get the money. So, you know, I left, I went to work. I really was not in a state to be out working on the street, you know, as an officer that day. And I told my, my supervisor what happened. And he said, that's okay. You can go home. You really cannot be out here. Like, so, so upset as you are, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to get hurt or someone's going to get hurt. Go home. It's okay. So, you know, I went home, I started calling around. Finally, um, funny enough, like, you know, a coworker, he said, you know, hey, you know, uh, this, uh, this uh, prosecutor, his wife is, is a divorce attorney. And so anyway, so I immediately called her and she looked through the whole thing and she said, this is a mess. And she's like, you know, we're going to have to work hard to, to get you out of this. And I said, whatever, whatever it takes, because, you know, I was not going to give him one red cent. I had already spent years allowing him to, you know, find himself, whatever that means, um, you know, years allowing him to like quit jobs. And, you know, I, I had even my, my grandparents had given me money to like finish my master's degree, which unfortunately I never did, but they'd given me like $10,000.
And, you know, he was like, oh, I, I want to have a business. I know if I have my own business, I know that like, I'm going to achieve something. I, I stupidly gave him that money. And the business didn't even last one year and it was a lawn care business. So he bought all this, you know, material and blah, 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 blah. It didn't even last one year. Yes. I know if anyone's watching and listening, they're like, God, this girl is stupid. You know, look, I was raised extremely religious. And so foolishly, I thought, you know, I needed to like help my husband, you know, like, help us carry the load, whatever that means, you know, like help us build like a foundation that he was the head of the household. Now I never want to get married ever again in my entire frigging life. But <laughs> at the time I had certain like notions of what being a man was, being a wife was, being a couple was, you know, now I'm, I'm honest. I, based on stuff that I've seen as a police officer, I don't believe in God anymore. Sorry to say, but it's the truth. Um, so there were lots of lots of things that like caused me to stay. Was I stupid? Yes, absolutely. And you know what's interesting is that during my divorce, um, I had a supervisor who sent me to a domestic violence, which is interesting. You mentioned this domestic violence class. And so before I went, I told him, I said, I'm not a victim of domestic violence. You know that. Like there would be no way anyone would get away with hitting me because I would probably murder them. And he said, mm, I see where you're coming from, but mm, you are because uh, it's financial abuse. You don't see what's going on here, but that man has been financially abusing you. And yeah, you, you, you have some issues and they're not horrible, but you do have some issues. Yeah, no one's beating you. No one's, you know, calling you horrible names. No one's, you know, but that man has been abusing you and you've been allowing that to continue. And it's interesting because when he said that, I didn't think like, you know, like, you know, like a light bulb, like, like a light bulb was like, -da! and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> and so, you know, I went to a therapist um, and yeah, we talked about it. And, you know, he said, you know, I don't, he said, you know, our first meeting, he said, I don't know what yet issues we're going to uncover, but he said for a young woman to, you know, just allow this and clearly you're competent and capable or else you would not have made it through the police academy. You would not have been hired by the police department. You know, he's like, you're, he said, you know, I'm not being inappropriate. That's what he said. He said, but you're an attractive, young, smart, competent, capable woman. And for you to stay in this situation for eight years, like, no, there's clearly issues we need to uncover and work on and make sure that that this never happens again. And I was like, oh, wow. But anyway, so the divorce took two years because, you know, like the first year was like the nonsense, Jessica. And then, you know, the second year was like a competent attorney. Um, you know, he and his attorneys kept fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. You know, like one of my coworkers said, <laughs> who is also a police officer, he said, wow, you lost every single battle, <laughs> but you won the war because eventually, hallelujah, when it came to the final court date, 
And believe it or not, when, when a divorce is contested, at least in the state of Florida, when it's contested, you have to have a final court date. Like, it's not like, oh, wow, you're divorced now. No, you go before the judge and like, like it's a, like a regular court date. Like maybe you might see like a lawn or something. Like she is going to make a final decision, like a ruling and you're going to call witnesses. Yes. We, yes. I had to like subpoena people. I had to, you know, I had to try to see if like, um, I had to pay for an occupational therapist because uh, according to everyone. I was the only one with money. I paid for an occupational therapist. P thank goodness, because he refused to go because he didn't want to get caught in the lie that he couldn't work. So thank goodness, because he refused to go. The occupational therapist said, well, I was not able to fully examine him. So then the judge said, okay, well, you know what? That's going to tell me that, you know what? You've been wasting this court's time the entire time and you get nothing more. She said, you know, things could have gone very differently if you had shown up to sessions, you know, if you'd been honest. Um, but yeah, you know, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Like, you know, he didn't want to get caught on paper, you know, being, you know, like... <laughs> being competent. Um, and yeah, so in the end, she ruled in my favor that I did not have to give him any of my salary. <laughs> I didn't have to give him any of my retirement, you know, and he stormed out of court and she looked at me and she's like, you know, wow, you made a big mistake with that guy. She's like, I hope you had never do that again. And I said, your honor, I will never get married again. And, and I'm serious. Like I, I yeah, it's been one, let me see now. Um, 12 years now. And no, not married, never getting, never getting married again. So yeah, I mean, it was a big mess. Um, and yeah, so I mean, I, I understand maybe someone watching this, like, what kind of adversity is that? Trust me, it was because, you know, I mean, I was facing, you know, the possible ruination, like financially, and also, you know, like taking away of my career, which I did for 10 years before I ended up, you know, moving to China to teach English, but, you know, taking away from my career, you know, and there were a few people who, you know, I get it, you know, it's not their money. So, you know, they were going to give me their stupid opinion and they were like, well, why don't you just let him have the money? You know, that's nice to say when it's not your money, but like I told people, you know, I was a police officer. I didn't sit at a desk and click, 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 type on a keyboard all day long. I went out and did an extremely dangerous job with a bulletproof vest, with a gun on my side, you know, in the rain when I had menstrual cramps, you know, on the ground fighting sometimes suspects like, no, I was not going to give him that money because I earned that money. It, it was extremely a hard, <laughs> extremely hard job, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. Every single week I saw people who had killed themselves or been killed. I saw children who'd been abused. No, no, he did not deserve that money at all. Honestly, if he had deserved that money, would I have given it to him? Yes. If he had been a good husband and somehow he had been disabled through illness or something, I would have absolutely helped him. But he wasn't a good husband. He was a lazy, you know, liar who clearly, you know, saw someone who didn't value themselves. And, you know, that was like, oh, great. Well, let me keep this going. 
that was the kind of man he was. So no, he deserves nothing. So <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, the other part of that adversity was like coming to grips with like, you know, um, really the sadness of like what brought me there. And obviously I had to be honest and say, you know, I brought myself there. You know, it wasn't like, you know, like he tore me down. Like he clearly saw, you know, this pitiful thing that he could, you know, use, but I, I clearly didn't, you know, I clearly didn't, you know, come with the appropriate, um, the appropriate, I, I would say like, you know, the appropriate skills to be in any kind of good relationship, honestly. Um, you know, yeah. And, and really it, it was with like lots of therapy, you know, working on personal issues, um, that, you know, I, you know, I'm glad that like, I have overcome lots of those issues. I mean, there's still obviously lingering issues because, you know, we're all flawed humans, but yeah, <laughs> gosh, I've said so much. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Yalila. First of all, I'm very sorry that you have to go through that. And then you had to fight for your money yeah. <laughs> and support. And then his lies and money manipulation and incompetence attorney. I'm so glad that she got disbarred. Oh, <laughs> that is so crazy to hear. Yeah. You trust attorney, pay for money, and yeah. then she, like no, she or he will like not say the right thing and that's yeah. heartbreaking when especially you're going through a hard time and then when the attorney supposed to help you yeah yeah but also what did you discover with the therapist that you kind of said at the beginning that your low self-esteem mm -hmm. kind of affected this marriage um how what did you discover during the therapy what, what was causing it yeah, you know, and you know, okay, so let me say this because you know, I know that like lots of people say, like, oh, my childhood, my childhood, and obviously everything we do goes back to our childhood. I mean, you know, like like there's 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 no escaping, you know, the parenting, the environment, like there's no escaping that, unfortunately. You know, we can obviously overcome that, but you know, we're going to be making decisions based on those early years. That's inevitable. We can just try hard to, to do our best to make better decisions. Um, so, you know, I do have to say that like, you know, just mm, experiences with my mother sometimes were extremely hard. My dad died when I was three years old. So obviously I can't say it's dad, but you know, or, or really one and a half years old, but you know, experiences with my mother and, you know, look, my own, my own, like, you know, knowledge now of being an adult, I do recognize that like, you know, look, there's lots of people who do the best that they can do. And, you know, they are flawed as well. And they don't recognize that maybe they need therapy. Maybe they need better parenting skills. And, you know, look, I, I do love my mom. I'm actually going to see her like in several days in Miami. I'm going from Columbia to Miami. And, and I do, I really do. Because I have come to accept that, you know, you, you bring a child into the world and you do, many people do have the best intentions, but they're not really equipped to make the best choices. So like, you know, lots of things that she would say were extremely hurtful. Um, you know, lots of things that she would do, like, you know, like, you know, look, I mean, it's, it's called corporal punishment today and it's not acceptable. That's something I used to tell people when I was a police officer, you know, like, 
whippings with belts. And like, if your skin, you know, their skin tears, they have bruises. That's not okay. Not okay. Not okay. No matter how much you think you're like rearing that child in the best way, that's, that's not okay. <laughs> um, you know, and so this is why like people, like I just had lunch today and this guy who was in our group, he was like, gosh, he's like, you seem so like such a positive person. Well, that's because I've done work. <laughs> so that's why I can, you know, laugh at things honestly and smile and go out there and be happy and friendly and caring. And, you know, because, you know, I have done the work. And, you know, I personally put off having a child because, you know, I felt like I was not going to be the best parent that I could be. Um, right now, I have actually started looking into the process of adoption because obviously I'm older. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm finally ready because I know like I'm that best version so far that I have gotten to. But um, yeah, so it was lots of things she said and did, you know, like corporal punishment and, you know, really hurtful things like, you know, calling me stupid and stuff like that. And it and it's funny because it's like, you know, um, on my podcast, like someone was like, I've talked about this several times that my mom still says stuff like, you know, stupid. And, and you know, it just runs off my back because it's like, you know, look, that's your opinion. You know, I've come to realize as an adult, people can have their own opinions. You know, there was a book called um, Loving What Is. I can't remember the author's name, but it's called Loving What Is. And she says, you know, when people have opinions, that's their business. That's not your business. You have your own business in life. You go follow your business and you leave their business alone. <laughs> so, you know, um, when I interviewed some people about my podcast and they were like, what'd your family think? And, I, and I've told them, I've said, you know, my mom said, hey, you know, that's stupid. You're stupid. Why are you going to live in another country? You need stability. You need, you need a marriage. You, you know, she's still saying that, <laughs> you know, you, you need, you need stability. That's stupid. You're stupid. Why are you going abroad? And I was like, well, that's what I'm going to go do. So I'll call you from China. Bye. Like, <laughs> because it's like, you know, that's okay. You, you can have your own opinion. That's quite all right. But my opinion is what's best for me. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's over, it's recognizing that, you know, um, sometimes people don't have the best parenting skills that, you know, look, clearly, clearly, like I'm a fully formed, healthy adult and I graduated college and, you know, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't get into any drugs or anything like that and never smoked. And, you know, I, I actually was on the honor roll in high school and, um, you know, and, and, and if you ever meet anyone who um, knew me in high school, you know, everyone would say the same thing that, that, you know, I was such a like caring, giving person, but why is that? Because I mean, my mom clearly did do some good things. You know what I mean? She like easily kept a roof over our head. She, she was a registered nurse for her career. You know, clearly I was fed, you know, um, you know, I, I was taken care of. I mean, I went to university. I didn't, you know, like I, I didn't get into any trouble with the law or personally or anything like that. So she did do the fundamental things. Yes, absolutely. You know, and I don't discount that because that's not easy. You know, life in Miami is expensive, but yeah, I mean, were there things she did fail at? And I'm sorry to say, yeah, she did. Um, but you know, 
as an adult, we, we have to recognize that, you know, whatever happened then happened then. And at a certain point, it's now up to you to now, you know, say, look, just because someone did X, Y, Z doesn't mean that as an adult, I now need to keep blaming them. No, absolutely not. I need to do the work, go to therapy, try to overcome these issues if I can, and, you know, be the best person I can be because now, now I'm an adult going out into the world. You know what I mean? So anyway, yeah. So it was things like that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. And I will talk more about that um, during the tools section of the podcast. Okay. But um, I just want to um, go and, back. And I was going to say, and I'll say something very fundamental during the tools section that a therapist told me. So I'll, I'll say, yeah. I'll yeah. It because I want to dissect a little bit more about your adversity okay. first. I know okay. it's been um, a quite a while, but like uh, the podcast is really meant to like um really dissect and dive into the adversity so i just want to echo with you so i am from japan where women were taught to be the best wives mm -hmm. and for instance my aunt was allowed was not allowed to go to high school wow. she was not allowed to get an education like men but to go to a kimono making school cooking wow. school. okay entire our lives like are uh, almost brainwashed part mm -hmm. to serve men mm -hmm. i've never seen my grandparents or dad like walk to get refill of their rice i've never seen them stand up for like chores much mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i just want to let you know that this brainwash thing and cultural thing, especially country, the traditional countries like Japan, mm -hmm. all the Middle Eastern countries and African countries as well. Mm -hmm. It's almost like if you're not married, you're not worthy. Yeah. You're not, yeah. You not a complete woman. Yeah. I remember, you know what? I remember when I was living in China, a friend of mine who is like 30 or something like that, um, yeah, like she told me, she said, do you know what they call us? And I said, no, what? She said, they call us single women, leftover women. I said, are you serious? And she said, yeah, that she said, my family, they feel so sorry for me. And I was like, why? You have your master's degree. You're smart. You make good money. Like, and she said, yeah, but I don't have a man who loves me, who's interested in me. And I was like, yikes. <laughs> So I just want to uh, dive into the conversation about this notion that you mentioned about, oh, I have to get married or, you know, I have to have this complete life as mm -hmm. a married woman. So I failed. I divorced twice. I married twice and divorced twice. Mm -hmm. And it's been a really bad experience. Mm -hmm. I'm the same as you. Mm -hmm. But if i'm in japan right now and being 45 going 46 single mom no man they would like destroy me mm -hmm. and basically would say you are not competent you're not worthy you're not blah 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 my pcp however told me 
jury you are in America, it's completely okay to be single. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to let you know where I come from, the pressure of getting married or not having anybody is such a subconscious brainwash that not so many people, women especially, can get over it and then feel worthy Mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. So this conversation is very rich to me because you sharing your experience of childhood and mm-hmm. maybe leading into this man that you clearly didn't deserve mm-hmm. and the situation that you have to go through with him, manipulation and trying him him trying to steal your career, financial <laughs> abuse. So financial abuse that is huge. It's mm-hmm. huge. that's mm-hmm. harassment and he does not deserve a penny. Like you said, being a police officer, especially mm-hmm. a woman of color mm-hmm. police officer that are on the ground fighting with this, you know, criminals. Yeah. yeah. Earning money mm-hmm. that you deserve to take care of yourself, go to yeah. vacation, nail salon, whatever. He doesn't yeah. deserve a penny, especially no. <laughs> if, he can, if he can't work. Like you said, he's disabled. That's mm-hmm. a different story. Mm-hmm. So I'm very happy. The end, the outcome is what you have, yeah. what you had deserved. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people do not understand the pressure of being in divorce court and seeing yeah. how scary it is. And mm-hmm. I was actually shaking. I remember I was shaking at the court, like, before our turn and then you have to hear all these other cases of people getting divorced and then i don't know if you have it in florida massachusetts has a divorce parenting course it's mandatory so if one party failed to go to divorce parenting class judge will not grant you a divorce so i don't know if you have it in florida but it's good it's a good class however it's a pain if one party will refuse to go to the class mm-hmm. and go up the court and don't have this divorce parenting certificate, your divorce mm-hmm. is not granted. Yeah. Therefore, you, you go through hell again, again, again. So yeah. it is good and bad, but at the same time, people do not understand yeah. how, mentally, how mentally draining it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even yeah. with child without a child it's a commitment that you made to a man that you trusted mm-hmm. and it's just heartbreaking to hear and then there's 60 percent of divorce rate yeah so yeah i really think marriage is completely overrated and then i yeah. feel like it's more of a brainwash sometimes it but- is like I was telling someone the other day, I said, you know, I, I, I do love marriage in terms of like the institution, because, you know, some people I've seen it, some people, wow, they meet their right person. And it's like, oh my goodness, you know, they're, they, they raise a family and like, you could see like, wow, like they, they bring forth like 
wonderful children into the world. And it's like, oh my God, like these people needed to meet each other. Like, like, like it was, it was fate, you know? So, so I think that that's possible, but you know, yes, there's lots of marriages where it's like, oh my God, horrible, horrible. Where it's like, why are you two even together? And you know, this is something I was telling a friend. I said, I feel like marriage works best for a man based on like, you know, like the, you know, like the, the, the type of machismo thinking in lots of different cultures and based on like, you know, how conservative religion is. And, you know, cause like I said, I was raised very conservatively in, in a religious household and it's like, you know, Oh, well, you know, the, the man is the head of the household and the, and the woman makes the home. And, and so it's like, it works out great for a man, but then, you know, women are doing so much work. It's so stressful. So I didn't feel like marriage really was in any way helpful to me at all. Obviously I had the wrong partner, but the other thing too, is that, you know, a coworker, when I was police officer, he said, wow, you know, people really find out the true nature of their partner in a divorce. You really do because you find out like, I mean, if that person ever really cared enough about you, you know what I mean? You, you really find it out in a divorce. <laughs> Unfortunately. And uh, my heart breaks out to all the people and then not just women I've seen or heard like the men's side of it that, you know, women were abusive and then men were financially, emotionally or even physically abused by a woman. Mm -hmm. But you know what, Jolila, what you have discovered, I would say, um, is very important that you said that low self-esteem, the child. Mm -hmm kind of attracted this. So I have to tell you that because as I said at the beginning of this podcast, my book is a gift from adversity. And I did experience unfortunately that sexual abuse and domestic violence early um at, like early childhood um from my dad and two uncles. And then, you know, I feel like the sense of emergency, state of emergency that I was raised in. Mm -hmm. in an abusive home and constantly fight, constantly yelling and constantly something going on, then you attract this abusive situation. You yeah. feel that you need emergency to survive. Mm -hmm. It is so wrong that I didn't learn boundary, self-love, yes. and it was all violated. So how can you get out of that even to realize that you are attracting these, you know, abusive situation, not even realize like until you were told that you were financially abused, yeah. you didn't know that you didn't no. know. <laughs> I was um, like, what? That's not even a real thing. <laughs> but you know what? It's true. And it's very true. And then I didn't even know the word PTSD or sexual abuse until mm -hmm. 22. Mm -hmm. No idea. But it started when I was four. Mm -hmm. That long, that mental health, nothing was talked about. So I really appreciate this conversation. And I hope some of the listeners um, would get something out of this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, we're going to talk about tools and stuff. But 
thank you so much for bringing this up. Now let's uh, move on to our second question, which is the tools. So what do you think, I know you mentioned about therapy and stuff, but what do you think the best tools that you think that worked for you to get out of this adversity? Um, okay, so, you know, I would say like, you know, honestly, like I had some really good friends at that moment. And, you know, I had and I was willing to listen to people who were being honest. So like the supervisor, like he and I had never, honestly, he and I had never talked about anything personal. Never, never, never. Um, you know, there was no need to. Plus, you know, I'm not that kind of person to like go to work and be like discussing my personal business. Um, you know, and and I mean, you know, he wasn't either. But you know, he he you know asked about. Well, actually, no, he didn't ask about the divorce. You know, when the divorce started, I was talking about it because I was so frustrated. And so that's when he said, hey, uh, this is my opinion, and I think you need some help. And, you know, and it was a voluntary class. I mean, it wasn't like I was forced to go. He said, you know, I, I'm sending you to this class. You know, obviously, I, I could have said mm, no, because it's a class. Like, it's, you know, not required. Um, and, uh, yeah, but, you know, I was willing to listen to someone being honest um, you know, and I think that when, when I was a police officer and I would go on domestic violence calls, you know, and, and occasionally quite frequently, you know, I would meet women who I'd met before and I'd be like, you know, we've been here before. Um, and you know, I don't know what else anyone else has said. They probably said the same things that I'm going to say, but you need to get out of this. You have children and if, if you're not able to do it for yourself, you have to do it for them because you might not realize this, but they are frightened. And as a parent, I'm sure that's the last thing that you want for your child. You don't want them to be frightened. Yeah, he's, he's probably not hitting them like you're saying, but they are frightened and their home should be a place where they are not scared, period, period. No matter what happens, they shouldn't be afraid to be here. They shouldn't be afraid to close their eyes, to open their eyes, to like breathe here. That should not be happening. Um, you know, and lots of people would say, okay, thank you. I understand. You know, obviously, you know, you have so many cases and you're not a social worker, so you don't follow up with them, you know, because, you know, that's not the nature of your job. But, you know, so many times I did wonder like, gosh, you know, did, did they take in that honesty? I hope. Um, I'm glad that I did. I'm glad when I spoke with that first therapist who, you know, he was like, you have some issues we need have to work on because, you know, why would you put up with this for eight years? For eight years, like, you don't even have children with this man. So you can't say it's for the kids. Well, what would possess you? You know, I could have been, you know, upset and said, you know, gosh, you know, you're so, I could have been upset at the supervisor, could have been upset at the therapist. Um, you know, and then so, I mean, you know, and, and look, I'll be honest, I was tired. I really was. I was tired. 
of the quitting the jobs. I was tired of taking the whole load on by myself. I was tired of not having a partner to help. You know, I, I would see other couples and, and I was, I was tired of not having someone in my life who cared, who was there, who was helpful, who was, you know, supportive. I, I was tired of being a parent to a grown man. I was tired. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, not just taking in the honesty, but also being tired, you know, I start, you know, and, and let me just say once upon a time, we had a wonderful show called the Oprah show. And that really was an amazing show because, you know, during that time I was paying attention. I mean, I don't know why I was finally paying attention, but I was finally paying attention. And so like, you know, things like that, like the Oprah show, you know, I was watching and that's how I, that's how I learned about the book, loving what is. And I was watching and every single thing I was reading and I was reading and I was reading and I was just like, gosh, gosh, gosh. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Like, you know, and, um, yeah, it was just things like that. You know, um, years later, just recently, I read a book, uh, but written by the author Viola Davis. And, you know, she had been on the Oprah show even recently talking about her book. And she said, you know, in her book, she said it wasn't until a friend told her, you know, you need therapy. You, you had this childhood and her childhood was rough, horrible, horrible. Um, but yeah, you know, it's like finally, you know, being willing to say like, gosh, I need help. I think that really was my biggest tool was just like being willing to say I need help and being willing to accept help. That honestly was it, was being honest with myself because clearly I'd been lying to myself. You know what I mean? Like saying, oh, wow, everything's great. You know, like, you know, things are great. Like I said, I was an honor roll student. You know what I mean? Um, you know, lots of times I went to school and yeah, I was sad. I really was, but you wouldn't have known it. Um, you know, but yeah, um, yeah, things like that, you know, graduated college and, you know, went and had a career and I was a police officer and I'm tough for the police officer. And, you know, like a coworker and I, we talked about, it and I said, here I was going to people's houses and I was telling them, you need to leave that man. But then I'm going home to this, to this what? To this same situation they're in. Yeah, I'm not getting pummeled. I'm getting abused in a different way. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so clearly, clearly, you know, instead of stopping the lies, let me just say that. Stopping the lies. Yes, stopping the lies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have a very interesting story. Mm -hmm. I did not notice until 2017, mm -hmm. turning 46, when my mother left, I was the only kid who, I, I was in very, very small town in Japan, I was the only kid whose parents were divorced. And I was really trying hard to hide it. And my teacher, so in Japan, like a parents conference, they come to your house. Make sure that something is wrong with me. And I'm like, no, she not catch that. I was so upset from then on, I really masked myself. 
And I worked really, really hard, really like almost like a workaholic. I achieved a lot of things in my life, which I'm very proud of, but mm -hmm. it's not like the perfectly healthy way. Mm -hmm. now, Japanese TV show came and then they interviewed me, followed me 10 days and they made a reality show about my life. And then I was viewed by 7.5 million people. One mm -hmm. of the questions, the long question that I had, just like, you know, surprised me was why do you work so hard? Like, what do you think is motivating or what is there fear? So then I remember that conference that she came and then I just started to like cry so much that I just didn't want to be embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And those moments, that you realize oh my gosh i had no idea how embarrassed i was when i was growing up and how how much i was trying to hide so everything is okay but it's mm -hmm. not okay. it wasn't okay at all mm -hmm. i did not realize so stop lying but also also i would say identifying the moment that started mm -hmm. and i think going back to the root, discussing yeah. why, I mm -hmm. think that can like reveal your behavior patterns and then be able to kind of direct to positive path. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And you know what? And look, let me just say this, you know, just because like I went to therapy, I'll be honest, like doesn't mean that I didn't stumble again. So like it was about like a year after my divorce, you know, um, you know, so so I have well, no, like during during my divorce, when which when I shouldn't have been dating because I still needed to to work, you know, I was dating someone and here I was like helping them financially. And, you know, again, and, you know, that comes from, it's like, you know, because it, it was something that my mother did, my grandmother did so helpful financially to like other people, you know, and of course, yes, you can be helpful, but, you know, there are obviously people who are going to take advantage of that. They're going to be like, Ooh, money. I've never had anyone give me money. I want money. Give me money. Oh, I have bills. I need, I need help. All kinds of things, you know, instead of just saying, Hey, thank you. I appreciate the gift, but, but it's okay. No, they'll be like, I need more. I need more. Um, you know, and then, and then when I got out of that situation, then, then I got into a different situation where, you know, then, you know, this guy was just, oh my God, he was just being so deceitful, so deceitful. And, and I was like, mm. and so like the financial you know, stuff I had like squash, but then now I was still with a person who was like lying. And it's like, I don't like lies. Like, you know, I always tell people like, look, be, be honest, be honest, because, you know, I, I know what it is to like live in like a life of like lies. It causes problems. Like I said, obviously I was lying or else, you know, or else I would have fixed the problems I had sooner. And so, you know, then I like left that relationship and that was like 10 months. And then I went to the therapist and, you know, I, this new therapist and, and I was crying and I said, you know, I just can't believe that like, you know, like a year after my divorce, you know, I just left this relationship for 10 months and I feel stupid because like, you know, like I should be making better choices. And it's so funny what she says. And I always tell people that I wish I remembered her name 
And, and I wish I had kept in touch with her because I would love to just be able to say like, like this woman said something so profound and she said, but you're doing great. And I was like, mm, were you listening to me or what? And she said, yes, I was. You're doing fantastic. She said, you stayed with a man for eight and a half years. And then this most recent relationship, you only stayed with him for 10 months. She said, in a span of a year, you started, you know, in your, like the, your, the gears in your mind are clearly clicking and working because you didn't even stay with this man for one year. And I was like, Mm, okay. And she said, the next time you're only going to be there for weeks. <laughs> for maybe, yeah. yeah. And then the next time after that, you're going to see him coming a mile away and you're going to say, mm, get away from me. And maybe you'll be on a date and you'll be like, uh, get away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. And you know what? She was absolutely right because. You know, after that, believe it or not, I started having healthy relationships. I had a great relationship for a year and a half. And then I broke up with him because he was like, oh, well, we'll live together. And I was like, mm. I was like, you know what? I don't feel this is the best relationship for me. I feel like something's missing. You know, like I felt like he wasn't present enough. He was a great guy, but just very involved in his own, you know, like, oh, you know, his own things sometimes. And, it, and, and, but, you know, and, and look, look, he was older and he wanted to travel. And so he'd be like, all right, I'm going to go travel. And it'd be like, yeah, but what happens to our relationship when you go and you go and you go clearly? Yes, you need to live your life. So there was nothing bad about him. It's just, we were clearly on different time schedules. You know, he needed to go enjoy his retired life. Absolutely. I obviously needed to be with someone who you know, was on my same time schedule. They're still working. They're not jetting off to somewhere else. So anyway, so then like four months later, I met another guy and we were in a relationship for two years until he drove me to the airport and then, you know, helped me put the baggage on the scale and was like, are you sure about moving to China? <laughs> and we still keep in touch. A phenomenal relationship. Honest, consistent, stable man. So, you know, so yes, you know, so, so it, it did get better. It really did. And the only reason like, you know, I left that guy was because he never wants to leave America. I, I want to see the world. This is why I lived in China. This is why I live in Colombia. I want to experience so much more that's out there. Um, but I'll give you the, the, the reason why I, I said, you know, it was so true about, you know, I'll, when she said I might be on a date and be like, get away from me. So like I had gone on Bumble and, you know, yes, there were some dating mistakes I made in China, but you know, I wasn't really looking for like a serious relationship at the time. So it's okay. But you know, here I was like, you know, I, I think I finally want something serious. So anyway, so I went on Bumble, there was this guy and you know, so he was like about 10 years older than me, but he was like, oh, well I have two older children, like they're in their twenties. And you know, so, you know, it'd be nice if we get to know each other. And I was like, oh, great. So we go on this date. And so we're sitting there eating and I don't know what it was, obviously, but something comes over me and I'm, and I ask him, what's your situation? Do you have a girlfriend? Now, obviously that's a very strange and specific question to ask someone you're on a date with. And so he like pauses from eating. He doesn't even look up and he's like, well, 
I'm actually technically married. And I'm like, I just, I just laughed. And so he's like, yeah, I'm technically married. You know, we still live in the same household, but we live in separate bedrooms. <laughs> and so then he's like, you know, oh, but you know, we've been waiting two years for a court date. And look, I can understand a court, you know, a divorce taking two years. Cause like I said, mine took two years. I cannot understand living in the same household with your wife because that's what she is she's his wife for two years while you know while you're trying to go on dates that i cannot understand i cannot <laughs> because you know it's like clearly you cannot be in a relationship because there's a part of your life that that partner can cannot have access to i mean you're not going to take her to your marital home and take her into your bedroom and you know like that's not going to happen I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's not going to happen, but anyway, so, so I just laughed and, and I said, you know, I said, why would you go on a date when clearly you're not, you really shouldn't be dating. You haven't taken any steps to make it seem like you are at least like at least one foot out of that situation. It'd be different if say like, you know, he had his own place and, you know, things like that. He could say, look, I have nothing to do with that woman, but, but he doesn't, you know what I mean? So, so he was like, oh, well, I want companionship and friendship. And I said, yeah, but if you want friendship, then that means you need to be a friend and to be a friend, you need to be honest. You aren't honest. Why? Because, you know, you assumed that I would be pissed off and, and no, I'm not pissed off. I, you know, I understand, you know, I would have easily told you, I understand what it's like to be involved in a divorce for two years because that was my situation. I said, we could have been friends, but now that you've shown me that you're dishonest, how can we? I mean, how can we? We could have been great friends. Eventually, once you're out of your situation, if that really is what you wanted, then we could have dated, but no, that this is not possible. So, so it was funny. So I was telling a friend and I said, you know, that therapist was right. There would come a point where I would be on a date and I'd be saying something doesn't feel right. I don't know what it is, but you are not for me. <laughs> and she was absolutely right. And you know, how did that happen? Well, because it's been now decades since that first moment I started going to therapy and I still read books and I still think about things. And, you know, I, I still like, I'm still doing the work, not like with a therapist anymore, but still like thinking about what are the issues that could plague me? What do I need to get over? And I'll be honest, like right now, you know, I still have an issue with, you know, feeling uh, lonely. Like, honestly, that's how my podcast started because November of last year, I felt extremely lonely when I was in Shanghai. I didn't have a boyfriend. That's I <laughs> very lonely. And I was like, you know what? I need to get out of this. And, you know, I started talking to other expats and I was like, well, how do you guys get over this? How do you feel? How do you, and honestly, that's how it started. The conversations about like, how do we feel when we live abroad? Like, you know, I know like on Instagram, lots of people, they put like the champagne life. Like I like to call it, oh my God, I'm on a yacht. I'm, I'm on an Island. I'm, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm like living the fabulous life of living abroad. And, you know, 
for lots of us, that that's that's not our case. You know what I mean? For lots of, you know, all of my guests, we all work. <laughs> you know what I mean? None of us are living on a trust fund. You know, like even, even the people who are living on islands who I've interviewed, they work. <laughs> you know, that's how they can afford to live there. Um, you know, like um, sometimes they're they're sad, they're frustrated, they're lonely, they're confused, they miss their family. Sometimes their family are not supportive of them being abroad. But, you know, it's it's real reality. And so, you know, um, maybe like the old me a long, long, long time ago might have said, gosh, I'm lonely. I need to be in a relationship, in a partnership. I need, And then, you know, and I would have attracted someone who, you know, one time this was told to me, it's not that people don't see your worth. Of course they do. But they want to see, they want to see, do you see your worth? Because, you know, lots of people, you know, like, feel like if you lose money on the street, they'll see the money, they'll pick it up. You know what I mean? Because they're like, oh, this is worth something. This coin, this dollar, this $20, you know? So, so there are people out there, they'll see, oh my God, like, that's a nice person. That's a decent person. That's a helpful and giving and caring and smart person. Oh yeah. Oh yes. I have, I have a gem now in my hand, but you know, that person doesn't deserve that. You know, they don't deserve like that $20 they found in the street because they didn't earn that. They didn't do the work. They're not, th that shouldn't have been for them. They just were in the right place at the right time. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm really happy about the work that I keep doing and yeah, yeah. You know, that recent experience was like, Gosh, unbelievable. This is so funny. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing um, your experience and tools and then how the progress is going after using these tools. Now let's switch to the last question, which is a gift that came from the adversity. So how would you say a gift that came from the adversity? Oh my goodness. You know, I realized how strong internally I was. And it's funny because like, you know, you, you obviously you, you, I'm sure like anyone would assume, oh, but you were a police officer. Of course you were strong. Well, you know, like mentally strong to like handle, you know, the nature of the job and maybe in certain cases, physically strong when I needed to, but I didn't realize how emotionally strong I was. And I didn't realize like, you know, that I could, you know, overcome and, and feel, feel better about myself. Cause I knew I didn't feel good about myself. I knew that, but you know, I didn't honestly, I know, I know how strange it sounds, but honestly, I didn't know how to feel better about myself. I really didn't. And, and I didn't know that I could feel better. And, you know, I mean, even like currently, you know, there are times when, yes, I would, I, sometimes I do feel sad and, and, you know, but, but it doesn't stay with me. Like I don't beat myself up about it. You know, there are like things I see on Facebook where like, you know, people will like go out on the street, they'll have a microphone and be like, Oh, well, Hey, what's, what's something that you wish you had told your younger self? And you know what I've seen like several women say, Oh man, I would tell myself, be kinder to yourself. Like use kinder words with yourself. 
love yourself more. Lots of women say this. I, I rarely hear men say this, but lots of women say this. And, you know, I don't know why we end up like being so hard on ourselves when, you know what, everyone is having a hard time, okay? In varying degrees, but everyone is having a hard time in their own way. So, you know, yeah, it's just, you know, I just realized like I could feel better. Um, I could have better thoughts about myself. I could be more honest in my joy instead of just smiling and like everything's okay. Smiling and everything really is okay. Um, you know, I have not been in a relationship since, you know, I left America, since that partner, you know, took me to the airport. I haven't been in a relationship. There are times when I have felt extremely lonely, but I've gotten over it because I've been like, you know, well, you know, I mean, I, I am living the life that I wanted. You know, I wanted to live abroad. So I recognize I did give up something, but it it was important for me to live abroad and have growth experiences that I would have never had in America. Never, you know? Um, so yeah, I would say the gift is like the being better me because, you know, I finally realized like I was ready to be a parent, um, you know, by, by all the work that, I, you know, okay. So let me just say this in a nutshell. I finally feel whole. Yeah, finally. And, you know, I, I would never want to go through that you know, experience ever again. But, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, things go through fire and they're made stronger. And so I know, like, I know how strong I am. Yeah. Mentally, emotionally because of that. Yeah. I know that. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for saying yeah. that and sharing. And it's been very rich, deep conversation, <laughs> honest conversation in terms of self-esteem, relationship. And, you know, I just wanna say something that my daughter is six years old and then she has been doing guidance counseling since the beginning of kindergarten. So a year, twice a week. Mm -hmm. She's very, very strong. Mm -hmm. And I've never seen such a boundary the other day we were at the swimming pool and this mm -hmm. boy was a little bit bothering her. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're popping my personal bubble. Ooh, I like that. Okay. Yeah. You're popping my personal bubble. I like that. Yeah. Stay back. Yeah. That's what she said. Mm -hmm. I had a bad relationship and I got the text and then apology. And then she said, mom deleted block it. Yeah. 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 And, and, and it's funny. That's what I do now. Yeah. You know, I don't like something. I do not give you another opportunity because the first opportunity that I gave you came with wide open arms. Okay. With, yeah. with no agenda, no judgment, no reservation. And, and if you chose to mess that up, that was all on you. You don't get another chance. And I know that might sound harsh to some people, but those boundaries are important to me because the gate was wide open for you to come hold my hand and frolic and have a good time. But you messed that up. So, you know, now the gate is closed. You don't get another opportunity. No, no. 
Absolutely not. So yeah, I, I like that. Popping your personal bubble. I like that. Yeah. And I yeah. like how she's like deleted. Absolutely. Yes. No, because, you know, I've also learned this, you know, from, from the very beginning, you know, if with my, my ex-husband, if, if, you know, obviously I look back and I see red flags, you know, we all do. We look back and we're like, whoa, hindsight's 2020. But like, if I had, you know, from the very first moment, like I did with this date said, wow, I don't like that behavior. That's crappy behavior. If I just cut it off, that would have been the end of that. But instead, when you allow some, some, like someone has crappy behavior and you allow them to continue the second and third time, now that conditions them. Now they're like, oh, I can do whatever the frig I feel like it. I can step on them. I can wipe my feet on them. Yeah, I can treat them like garbage. Yeah, they don't care. It doesn't matter to them. Well, you know, the very first moment that you say, you know what, the door is closed. You've also conditioned them because now they realize, oh, that's it. I blew it. And now, now they go away. They they go away. <laughs> they go yeah. away. Yeah. Well, my point is though, Jalila, I'm before. I would say the pandemic, and mm-hmm. then um, we talked a lot. But I just want to say, after the pandemic, especially, then you know, a lot of people start to talk about mental health mm-hmm. and boundaries, six feet away, like boundaries and stuff. But I would say the younger generations, luckily, are learning more about the personal space, boundaries, and mental health talk that was never, ever talked about when I was growing up. So one of the mission that I have doing this podcast is talking to you, talking to other guests, to bring forefront about what is the result of not taking care of your mental health mm-hmm. and not understanding the personal boundary mm-hmm. and then not having access for us growing up, recognizing mm-hmm. all these red flags and continue on and the notion and pressure of this marriage. I think this conversation was so meaningful to me, Jalila, and mm-hmm. I'm really proud of how I started this podcast and how you came to my show, how you shared your story today. And I'm very proud of you recognizing all these signs now and also recognizing the root so that you can better prepare taking care of yourself. Yeah. And I just wish that I knew these kind of things growing up. Never too late. You know, I think we are doing it right now. So thank you so much for joining a gift from adversity today. It meant so much to me. I feel like crying because <laughs> I've experienced it. And I really um very, very grateful that you shared your story with us. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I really appreciate the invitation. You know, I mean, if it can be helpful to someone to like recognize like, Hey, you know, like, you know, I'm not in a good situation or like, Hey, I can get over a not so good situation and go on and be okay and happy and live a good life. Yeah. 
that'd be great. Well, thank you so much again. And then thank you everyone for uh, being a part of this podcast. And we have more guests coming on and see you next time. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right.